If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 32. And again, my name is Pastor Chris, if you just joined us, and we're glad that you're here with us this morning. We are in a series of messages, and the title of this series is Identity Crisis. We are facing in the world that we live today what we are calling an identity crisis. We are facing in the church that we live in today what we are calling an identity crisis. It's people that are not able to answer that question, who am I? Who am I really? Some of us, we feel caught between multiple identities. For some, it's who you are and who you're pretending to be in front of other people. It's who you want other people to believe you are and who you know you really are. And oftentimes there is this struggle of identity, wondering, who am I? There are others that have been defined by so many things in this world, and that's where you find your ultimate identity. And we are learning as a church what it means when we look at God's word to find our identity in him, because he's the one who loves us, and he's the one who created us. So I'm just going to pray for this word this morning that the Lord would speak to our hearts. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, you're the author of our story, you're the author of life, and you're the author of our faith. And today, Lord God, we put our trust in you, that Lord, when we turn our attention to your word, we expect you to speak to us, Lord God. Holy Spirit, would you come now and illuminate in every heart exactly what you would desire to lead us into, into your truth, into your ways, so that we would be changed and transformed and refined into the image of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you glory today, and we pray that you will speak to us, that you will challenge us, and that you will change us. In your matchless name we pray, amen, amen. So in this series, we've been sharing about what it means to have our identity in Christ, and we're following uh, through a story that's unfolding in the book of Exodus. Now, last week, it's important if you had not had the chance to hear that message uh, last week, please go online, evangelchurch.com. You can watch it there or listen to it. Uh, But it's important for you to listen to each of these messages in this series as the Lord has been leading and guiding us. But last week, I shared with you a moving story about a pastor in South uh, Korea who has begun to adopt children. And it's a a movie that's now playing and has been playing in limited release in theaters called The Dropbox. Everyone remember? What we're talking about, Pastor uh, Lee, who saw the heart of God and found his identity in the Lord, said, it's not good for these children to be going without a future, going into death. Instead, I want to rescue them myself. I will take care of them. I'll give my life for these children. An amazing story of what happens when you truly come to find your identity in, in God, in Christ alone, and then you realize that in that identity, he has a purpose and a plan for you. And it's our Our goal, it should be our goal in life to find that plan and that purpose. I'm excited to tell you that I found out over the weekend that that movie, The Dropbox, which was no longer in theaters, many of you probably went to try to watch it, they made an announcement that they are going to put it out on limited release again tomorrow evening at the Rialto Theater in Westfield. So please, I was thinking about like figuring out how we can get a bunch of tickets here to uh, make available to you. Uh, we're not able to do that. You can go online after service. You can not while I'm preaching, please. Uh, they'll still be there afterwards. But let's just pack out that theater tomorrow night. Let's hear that message and, and let's pray that God will use the favor he's already put upon this so that it will have a complete national release and many people can hear the good news of what Christ does with a life set apart for him. Well, last week we talked about the beginning story in Exodus and as it unfolds, uh, what happened to the people of God at that time. Now, there was a quote that I gave to you last week that, that I want you to remember this week. It's 
Today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. Today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. And what that means is that if you grow comfortable, you grow complacent in the place that you're in, that you may as well think that you're free and that you're enjoying all that life has for you, but before you know it, you might be a captive. You might be held captive to something that you've been giving yourself over to as you've been living a cold, complacent kind of uh, life, especially in your relationship with the Lord. This is a story that unfolded in the book of Exodus because as God led the people out uh, out from a place uh, that he had them in into the land of Egypt because there was a great famine and God provided through uh, Joseph the ability for them to be sustained for some time and enjoy blessing while they lived uh, as residents of Egypt, they also knew, and Joseph knew, this is not my permanent home. This is not our permanent home. God has a better place for us. He has a better purpose for us. He has a true identity for us, and it's the people of God, not the people of Egypt. We are the children of God, not the children of Pharaoh. We are his people. That's our identity. That's who we are. And Joseph was so sold out on that that he even told them to promise to carry his bones up out of Egypt when God did what God said he would do. Joseph trusted that God was faithful. But the people, as as generations went by, began to forget that. They lost sight of that promise. They weren't living in that expectation any day that the Lord could come and lead them into this land of freedom. This was the new normal for them. This was their mailing address. This was their place of residence. This was where they were occupying. This was their identity. Well, in their complacency, they had no idea that captivity was soon on its way. And they were taken captive. They were made slaves. And in an instance, their identity went from being children of God, sons and daughters of, of God, his own chosen people, to captives, to slaves. Within a short time, they took on that entire identity. They were an identity of that environment, of that place in which they were, and they gave themselves over to just become slaves and live with that identity, not the greater identity that God had for them. And while they were slaves, they had no idea that that God's desire was to set them free. But he came and he did just that. He did what he promised to do, that he would set them free from slavery And he rescued them out by using this man named Moses that he had set apart and called. And God, by his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, set them free from the greatest and most powerful civilization of their time and said, you're going to be my people again. So now their identity was in the midst of changing again as they're going out. And God led them miraculously into the wilderness. But something bad happened. You see, God was able to get them out of Egypt. He could not get Egypt out of them. They could not shake their identity as slaves and they could not shake the sin in their hearts and their desires to do what they wanted to do and not obey the Lord. They didn't want to be his. They wanted to belong to themselves or they even at times threatened to want to go back and belong to Egypt again. They said, we might as well go back to Egypt and be slaves because this is better than being in the wilderness where we're going to die. And this brings us to that key principle that we had to understand from last week that you cannot understand who you are until you learn whose you are. Meaning you cannot understand who you are until you understand whose you are, to whom you belong. The one that created you, the one that loves you, the one that longs for you. Until you understand the identity of the one who loves you and created you, you cannot understand your own identity. You will continue with a longing to wonder, who am I? until you realize whose you are. 
And the Lord wants us to know the very same thing, that we belong to him, that he created us, that he loves us, that he knows our name just as we sung together. But we reach this place in Exodus chapter 32 where they come into this crisis again of identity. They come into this crisis of who they are because they're making a decision about whose they will become. So let's look together at Exodus chapter 32. And as we're in this passage, Moses has gone up the mountain to meet with the Lord, to hear from him, to receive from him instruction on what it will mean for him and the people that God has set free to have relationship with him. And in Exodus chapter 34, the un- or 32, the unthinkable happens as Moses is away for some time. It says now in verse 1, Now when the people saw that Moses had delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron, who was Moses' second in command, and said to him, Come, let us make a God who will go before us. As for Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Tear off your gold rings, which are in your ears, of your wives and your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off their gold rings, which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he took them in from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made it into a molten calf. And he said to them, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Can you imagine this with me? That these people, this is everything that they had been through up until this time. God rescued them out of Egypt by a series of supernatural plagues, things that could not be explained. He rescued them, preserved their lives. When they faced the impossibility of crossing the Red Sea, they crossed as though it was dry ground. As they were unable to drink certain waters, they were bitter. He made them sweet. As manna was needed, it was given from heaven. They were given quails. They were given water out of a rock. They were able to defeat the enemies that came against them. God's hand of provision was all over them. And in a moment of delay, in a moment where Moses is gone and they're not quite sure when he's coming back, they realized what they truly wanted in their hearts. They said, just make us a new God, Aaron. Just make us a new God and he'll lead us forward from here. Make us a new one that will go before us and we'll bow down to him and we'll worship that God. That's what we want. We just want to make our own God. And so he did. He took from them. They were willing to sacrifice the very most precious things, their own gold, from their bodies. And they said, here, out of all of us, we give these offerings, and would you just take it, and would you just sculpt it into a God for us? Now, where do you think they got that idea from? Egypt. Think about it. The Egyptians, they said, you know what, you're infertile? Don't worry, we, we have a God for infertility. Here it is. Oh, you're facing the, no rain? Okay, we got this God that will help us with droughts. Okay, they had gods for everything. And as they watched these gods be formed with people's hands. You know what they learned about their identity? That this is how you do it. If your God isn't doing what you want him to do, then just create another God. If your God isn't meeting all your needs and all your demands, then just create another one. You're going to eventually get it right. You'll find one that will do something that you want him to do. Just keep working at it. It requires sacrifice, but if you're willing 
to bow down to this God and you're willing to serve it, then, then it can work. It can be right. Well, they didn't know this common uh, thing that said here today that even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? Uh, and so they eventually thought, well, I made that one and now it rains, so that must be the God that will help us. This is how they worshipped. Whenever I said that they got out of Egypt but Egypt didn't get out of them, that's more than just a cute saying. In their very heart, and their very identity, they were still living this way. They were still living like slaves. They weren't occupying the identity that God had for them. And because of that, they were walking away from God. They were cutting themselves off from the one who had given them life and provision and everything that they would need. Up until this point, God had not even required offerings from them. And they're so willing to freely give all that they have, the very precious treasures that came out of their lives that they were able to carry with them out of Egypt and they gave it to make a God that they could worship by their own hands. How often today do people, God's people even, give their time, their talents, their treasures, their loyalty, their substance to things that will just bring them pleasure, not the things that God would want them to have or be a part of in their lives. See, we haven't stopped wanting to call the shots. We haven't stopped wanting to be in relationship with God, but really dictate the terms of what that relationship will look like. So often, people will say, you know what, I'm going to follow Christ if it means a ticket to an easier life, a better car, a nicer house, a more blessed life. But if you're telling me that it's going to be difficult, and in fact, it may even be harder than when I wasn't serving him, uh, that doesn't sound too appealing to me. Where's the benefit? Where's the return on investment? Where do I get what I want in this life now? And so often we turn to our own hands and what we can do and what we can produce and, and all these things. I want you to know that Exodus 32 is one of the most clear and blatant examples of what it means to have an idol in your life. But you need to know that today, if, if you are not going and grabbing the rings off of your wife and your children and melting them down and making a little figurine and worshiping it in your house, don't think that if you're not doing that, you're safe from idolatry. You're not. You're not. The idols just look different today. But they're still running rampant. We have a television show named after idols, American Idol. Um, the, this idea of having idols is still very alive, very well today, and it's informing so much about our identity. It's causing much of the identity crisis that we have today. Here's what the people of God did in the wilderness. They disobeyed the way God had commanded them. He had already given them his commandment. You know what he said? You're going to have no other gods before me, and you're not going to create any idols. <laughs> so number one and two, they, wrote, they, they scratched that right off. Within moments, within some time, they said, you know what, we're, we're getting tired of, uh, of following this God and this guy Moses. Let's just create our own God. They create him and then they give that God credit for leading them out of Egypt. Did you see that? They said, this is the God that led us out of Egypt. They're missing it. They were completely missing it. But this is an attribute of the heart of man. This isn't just their problem. This is a human condition that often we will turn to something other than God to lead, guide, and inform our lives. And I want you to know that when we do that, we are actually serving and worshiping an idol. Now, you don't think that that's the case, but it's the truth of God's word. You think because you didn't craft it out of clay or out of gold or out of something that it, that it isn't an idol. 
No, it is an idol if your heart is responding to it in a way that doesn't honor the Lord, in a way where it has the affections that are only reserved for the Lord himself and where it informs your life in the way that God himself should only be informing your life. So why do people fall subject to worshiping idols? Why does the golden calf appear in the life and in this story? Normally this happens. You're susceptible to this happening in your life when you're going through a season of waiting. Now we just went through a season of stillness where many in the congregation, you, you took time daily and you said, you know what? As I'm waiting in this season, Lord, I'm going to wait upon you. And during this season of waiting, I'm going to take in your word and I'm going to spend time seeking your face and I'm going to sit at your feet and I want to experience everything that you have for me and I want to do exactly what you would have me to do. And that is a time of worship. That is a time where the Lord can meet you and lead you and guide you. But there are other people when they go through a season of waiting, they do the exact opposite. They dig themselves into their pleasures. They grasp like grasping for straws for something that will fill the void in their life. Something that will numb the pain that they're going through. Something that will give them a sense of purpose, a sense of joy, a sense of their desires being met. And when they're doing that, all those things that they're turning their heart over to are idols, are objects of their affection and of their worship that do not deserve it. They're worthless. But so many people are willing to replace God with a counterfeit, a counterfeit God. And there's a danger. There's a danger that awaits someone that does that. That decision has incredible ramifications. What you saw as just a moment of compromise is something so much bigger. What these people saw is just a moment where they formed this golden calf and, you know, hey, we were just killing time, Moses. We figured we'd make another God in case this one failed us. You know, whatever excuse they had to try to write that off, they couldn't. It was a huge, huge issue that had dire ramifications attached to it. And this is what we need to learn. If we saw last week that today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity, what we have to learn this week is that Today's compromise is tomorrow's catastrophe. You need to know that the decisions you're making today are informing your future. They have a direct impact on tomorrow, on what will be happening tomorrow. And there's some of us that we think that we can compromise today and that somehow we're going to make up the difference down the road. It doesn't work that way. Whatever we're sowing today will grow tomorrow if we're compromising today, it will lead to a catastrophe down the road. We can't keep kicking the can a little further and expect that nothing bad will ever happen. And so what they did was they made a big compromise. They lost faith in God. They decided that they would cut themselves off from serving and worshiping God alone, and they created their own God. That moment of compromise had catastrophic results in the ending of many lives because they chose to cut themselves off from their life source. And they chose to look at something as worthless as something that is carved out of gold, this molten calf, and they said, you will now be our God and we will bow down to you. And some of you say, that's ridiculous, but I'll tell you what, look at your life. You may have done a lot more for a lot less. You may have been willing to compromise even more for something that wasn't worth it as well. Today's compromise means tomorrow's catastrophe. Because we can get so ingrained in looking 
to things to satisfy the longings of our heart that are only able to be satisfied by the Lord himself. And therefore, we have put into our lives these idols, these things that we find our purpose in, these things that we find our identity in, these things that we truly worship and, and go, go just all in for. And our attachment can grow so incredibly that it can really permeate through everything about our lives. And some of you would say, you know, Pastor Chris, I don't think that, that you're really... Uh, you're really pegging it here because I, we're living in sophisticated America. We don't deal with these kind of ancient tribal things that you're talking about. We don't deal with idolatry in, in America today. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> we are. We're dealing with it. We're dealing with it in ways that you may have even become blind to. It's happening all around us everywhere. And if you don't believe me, I want you just to watch this video as it sheds some light on what we're talking about this morning. I was watching TV the other day. And this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. Well, you would think they were crazy if you didn't understand their culture and their religion. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols. And they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. But they had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. You don't really relate, do you? Let's try it again. I was watching TV the other day, and this show comes on with these religious fanatics. They were crazy. See, that's just the thing. They were worshipers of idols, and they took things to extremes. They painted their bodies. They wore these ridiculous costumes. They chanted, they danced, they, they made sacrifices to their idols. They had built these enormous temples to worship their idols in. It seemed like their entire existence climaxed into this one scenario, this one over-the-top act of worship. Idol worship. It's not just about golden calves anymore. It's not about golden calves anymore, but there are things that have elevated their place in our lives, and they have a hold of us in ways that we would have never even thought. There are people that can go and can enjoy a sporting event or can enjoy something like that, but it has become something of an idol now in many people's lives, where it is the center of their week. It's the center of their, their life. It's, it's how they find their identity. It's, it's everything about who they are. You now have children that say, I want to be like him when I grow up. I want to be that person. I, I, they like will worship that person because, because they long to find their identity in that one. And if they could just become like them. You'll see such a strong loyalty to a team. You'll see such incredible passion. I mean, people have made the, the connection so often that, you know, we, we'll worship from, from 9 to uh, 1230 in these two services. But if you'll drive up the street, up Gar uh, Garden State Parkway a while and find your way into a stadium an hour and some later, you will find people that are, that are screaming at the top of their lungs, that are overjoyed, that are celebrating, that are dancing, that are coming alive. Why? Because Jesus showed up? No, 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 because their favorite team just scored a touchdown. Let's put it into perspective, right? And so therefore, the, the way that this has become something that can so grab a hold of someone's heart is amazing to consider. 
and make sure that we don't give ourselves over to it in a way that, that we're actually giving our affection, our attention, our loyalty, our greatest loyalty to some team or some person or some uh, figure out there, some musician. You can see how people will, will dress up, they'll paint their face, they'll, they'll, they'll get right into an identity of someone because they fully now identify with that person. They look up to them, they follow them, they want to be them. Sounds a lot like an idol to me. It's informing everything about who they are and who they want to be. Now, this is important for us to realize and for us to understand because this happens. And why does this kind of stuff happen so often? I've been fascinated with uh, the team that I celebrated since I've uh, grown up. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, there's a very strong base of fans there for the sports teams in Pittsburgh. The Steelers are one of them, but unlike the Penguins or the Pirates or any other team in Pittsburgh, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, when you go around the country, you find more Steelers fans in more places than I could have ever imagined. You could be in Texas, and they'll be playing the Cowboys, and a bunch of people in the stadium will be Steelers fans. Uh, the Steelers just had picked up a player who played for Carolina, and he said, I can't wait to play for this team because whenever they would play us in Carolina, half the stadium was full of their fans. I don't know how they do it. And uh, so I read an article about why that happened, and it was because of back in the 60s, the city of Pittsburgh was a very depressing place to live. It had smokestacks. It had smog everywhere. The streets were full of pollution. Uh, everything, the, the literal buildings were stained with smoke and smog. And the people that were there were just completely depressed. There was nothing to look forward to. There was nothing to hope in. It was just a depressed town in a dying industry, one that had made tons of money, but now it was just pumping out steel and polluting the environment, and they were just, people were just depressed. They weren't making enough. They had nothing to hope in. And then this team that had been pretty bad for a long time starts winning football games. They have this young guy named Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris, and they have this amazing defense. And before you know it, in like eight to ten years, they win four Super Bowl titles. They're the world champions four times in a decade. Had never been done before. And the city found their hope and their identity in this football team. They found everything to celebrate was about what this team was doing. And so their allegiance, their loyalty, their identity, everything was so deeply ingrained in becoming a fan, connected to this team. And then right after that, all the steel mills started shutting down, and then all those people went all over the country. So now you have in all different pockets of the country People who will say, you have five or six or seven-year-olds, and say, hey, why are you a Steelers fan? Well, my grandpa used to love them. Do you know why? Because they left, and that identity was still seared in who they were. It was the thing that brought them such hope, such identity, such purpose for a key part of their life when they had nothing else to hope in. That's how the heart gets opened to idols, <laughs> is that whenever something can take a place when you are feeling hopeless, and you can make that your hope, you can make that your desire, you can allow that to be the thing that you give all of your affection and attention to. Do you realize that when you use those same words about God, we're talking about worship? So we begin to worship these people, these things, these places, these experiences. They become idols to us. And this is very dangerous because they are man-made idols. They are counterfeit gods. They are gods with a lowercase g. They do not have the power that the God we serve, the living God, has. But yet we give them such uh, incredible attention and affection. We give them ourselves. We give them our resources. We give them our time. 
They're the things that are competing for the time that God wants to spend with you every day. And you say, I can't spend time with you today because this idol is calling out to me. But these are man-made. These are handmade idols. And these kinds of idols are very dangerous because you may think, and this is why idols are normally created, because it's someone's attempt to want to control God, want to control the God, that if I can create it with my hands and somehow I can maintain control, that I will shape this God by my hand for my purpose. Here's the danger in it, and something you don't realize subtly happens, that the idols that you're shaping will turn around and begin shaping you. The idols that you thought you shaped end up shaping you and shaping your life. And this is something that we see all the way back in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 15. This principle comes right out to us from God's word. It says this, they worshiped worthless idols and so they became worthless themselves. They made these idols with their hand, they worshiped them and they became just like them. You will find your identity in an idol if you're worshiping it. It will begin to shape your identity and that's one of the great, great Ways of knowing what kind of idols might be living and residing inside of your life. And this gets us back to that statement we said that you can't know who you are until you know whose you are. And because it's very important for us to know how an idol, what we're worshiping is what ultimately shapes who we are. That we are shaped by whose we are. Who you are, your identity is ultimately shaped by whose you are, who you give yourself over to, what you give yourself over to you will start to inform your identity. Think about it this way. Whatever informs you, whoever informs you will ultimately form you. The one who you're allowing to inform you at that level, at the deepest place of your heart, will ultimately then form you and shape you in its image. And we become as lifeless and as worthless as the idols that we worship the things that we give that place of preference in our lives and in our hearts. When you look back at this calf, they wanted to put their whole identity into this. They wanted to put who they were. They wanted to follow it with all of their lives. And I'll tell you what, for some of us here, and I'm, I'm sorry to be picking on the sports fans, but if you were here today and your sports team came to you, Eli Manning calls you on the phone. He says, listen, I know you. I saw you wearing my jersey. I know you care about us. We care about you too. And you know what? I've talked to the big guy upstairs. We have a place for you on the team. You're going to travel with us where we go. You're going to represent us. You're going to be front and center and all the things that I'd like to see accomplished. Many of you are saying, I'm, I'm in. I'm good. I'm going. I'll quit my job. It doesn't matter. I'm all in. Why? Because I get to be a part of my team, our team. Someone reminded me between services, isn't it amazing that we say it's our team? Like we're on the team? <laughs> you know, but then some of you at Fairweather Plans, whenever it's, they're losing, it's them. It's their team, not our team anymore. You disown them. No, it's them. It's our team. We want to be a part of the team. We want to be a part of the, we want to find our identity with them. We're willing to even be accosted because of it. I was, I was able to work uh, security uh, as a volunteer at the NFC title game when the Eagles were playing the Falcons back in early 2005. And when I was there, I was a part of some friends of uh, mine that went, we went to school together. We were specifically told, because we were in Philadelphia, and how many of you know Philadelphia fans are crazy? They got some crazy fans, um, and that's the truth. 
it is. <laughs> I don't even need to elaborate on that. Um, whenever we went there, they, the security officers that we were working with said, you need to find anyone who has an Atlanta jersey on and you need to go stand near them because the chances are they will be assaulted physically at some point because it's, it's a big game. So people were willing to go to that level and, and, it, and it really was. You had to see the way people were being treated just because they were willing to stand for the other team. And then imagine the person who lives in that area knowing that that's what they're going to come under, but they're so loyal to their team. They're so loyal to the one who they, who they have identified with that they say, I don't care, I'm willing. I don't want I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to hide it. I'm just going to be in. And whatever the cost is, is the cost. I'm ready. They have become, they've given themselves over to that. Now, you need to be careful what you give that ability to inform your life. Whatever it is that you place that much faith and hope and trust in better be the sure thing because too many times you become a slave to it and too often it's not the Lord and it's something that's going to lead you in the wrong way. Romans chapter 6 verse 16 says this, don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin which leads to death or you can choose to obey God which leads to righteous living. Whatever you choose to worship in that way will ultimately inform and lead your life because we're all worshiping something. We're all worshiping something. If you don't believe that, I want you to watch this video and it's going to inform some more about what we think about worship and how we worship. Everyone worships. Sure, not everyone wants to call it worship or even think about what they're doing. But everyone worships something. Everyone has some ultimate thing that they center their life around. Something or someone that they hope will give their life meaning or purpose. For some, it's religion. For others, it's money. For some, it's fun. For others, it's success or power. Or science or knowledge. Or beauty. Or popularity. For some, it's love or sex. For some, it's their family. But the Bible says, all things were made by Jesus and for Jesus. This means we were created to worship, but there is only one who is really worthy of our worship. That's why nothing else in this world satisfies. We keep on looking, we keep on striving, we keep on buying, but nothing delivers. Nothing brings us that deep satisfaction that we long for. But when you live your life with Jesus as the center, you're doing exactly what you're created to do. You're right in the place you're supposed to be. So the irony is that when we give our lives over to worship Jesus, that's when we actually find ourselves. Everyone worships. 
but we were made to worship just one. We were created to worship. We were created to worship just one. And how many other things have crept into your life? How many other things are informing who you really are? There's a principle to this idea of identity. As long as you're unsure of your identity, as long as that remains in question, you're going to always be pressured to fit into somebody else's mold. They'll manipulate you. They're going to try to make you into who they think they want you to be rather than who God wants you to be. This can cause incredible stress in your life. This can cause incredible worry. This can cause you to become busy because you're just trying to fit someone else's mold. You become so fearful, keeping up the facade, trying to be who people want you to be, who you're pretending to be. And it causes you so much stress. This world is made up of people who are trying to figure out their identity because they haven't found it in God and so they're finding it in all these created things and all these things that have no life and have no power and have no eternal significance. But there's one who came when the fullness of time had come. It was our Lord and our Savior Jesus. And when he came 18 times in the Gospels, he made this declarative statement and he started this way. I am. I am. I am the bread of life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am. You know what he was doing declaratively? He knew exactly who he was, where his identity was found. And he came into a people who did not know who they were, and he said, I am. And when he said, I am, he is hearkening all the way back to when God was speaking to Moses when he said, I am that I am. The great I am. The one who created everything and spoke it into existence. The one who was so sure of his identity. The only solution for someone who's having that kind of identity crisis where you're being shaped by all kinds of other idols in your life and things that want to inform who you really are that have a greater place than you've given God to inform who you are. The only way that you can overcome that is that you have to deep within yourself know exactly who you are, that you are in Christ, that He is your identity, that He is everything. When you discover whose you are, that you belong to him and that you're in him, then no one can come and inform you differently because you've made up your mind. Your heart has been set and you can overcome the many pressures and and temptations in this world. To learn that's an important thing. So let's stand together and let's ask God to meet us as we take that step towards him today. As you just posture your heart in prayer right now, whether that's through bowing your head and closing your eyes or lifting your hands before the Lord, whatever that is, I want you just to take a moment before the Lord and I want you to hear these words that you are deeply loved by Him. You are accepted by Him. He loves you as you are, not as you're pretending to be. He has a plan for your life. And until you settle this issue of identity, 
You're always going to feel insecure and pressured by the many stresses of this world to fit you into their mold. But you can make a decision today. And that decision is deciding deep within the depths of yourself. Who will I be? Turn away from idols. Turn away from these things that you had no idea you were worshiping, that you had no idea were getting this unhealthy amount of your affection, of your desire, of, of, of your time, of your resources. Say, Lord, I, I detach myself. I turn away from those things. And you don't need to repeat any prayer after me. You just start to do that before the Lord. Let him speak to your heart right now and confess and repent. To confess means that you acknowledge those things and say, Lord, I acknowledge this. I acknowledge that this, this isn't pleasing to you. I know this has a place in my life that it should not have. And then to repent means that you're turning away from it. So commit before the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm now turning and walking away from that and I'm walking towards you. That I would know you. That my identity would be shaped by you. If that's you and you know that you're making those steps with the Lord, I just want to pray for you right now. So as you're just doing that, just say that right before the Lord. I'm just going to begin to pray for you. Lord Jesus, would you meet each person here that has acknowledged that there are things in their heart right now that, Lord, I'm pleasing to you. There are, there are things that they've given themselves over to in a way, Lord God, that has only been reserved for you. Lord God, show us, Lord God, how you're the only one who's worthy of our worship. You're the only one who's deserving of our praise and our adoration. So, Lord, let us never allow anything to get in that place, Lord God. We turn from the things that so quickly try to pull and shape who we are, Lord God. And we say we will have our identity in Christ. Lord, we stand with you. Church, the, just as I said about your favorite sports team, your favorite sports figure, it's amazing how many would give up everything and just go with him. But you need to know something, that God of the universe stepped down out of heaven. He came to a people who are broken, just like you and me, who have made all kinds of mistakes. And he looked at them and he says, I choose you, come, follow me. I'm the God who loves you, the God who created you. I know your name and I'm calling you to follow me. And we see the story in the New Testament of those that just gave up their lives and they went all in to follow him. They said, if you're calling me, then I'm gonna follow you. I'm all in. In fact, church, we're going to begin a new series of messages called New in 42. We're going to read about the New Testament church. We're going to read about this church in the book of Acts. We're going to read the story of those that said, I'm on your team, God. We're in. We're going. And we're going to find that it's so much different than our commitment level today. And so would you just pray that God would challenge you to know that the greatest team that's ever been formed, the kingdom of God, the greatest one that's ever come, the creator, your Lord, your savior, he knows you and he's called you and he has a plan for you. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Don't walk away from him. Turn to him and run after him. As the altar workers come forward, they're going to be here praying and interceding for you. But there's some that are among us today and I know that your heart isn't right before the Lord. Perhaps you don't even have a relationship with Jesus yet or you've been far from him. I want to just, I'm just going to say a simple prayer and I just encourage you, please, repeat these words. Write to yourself. Just say a prayer in your own words to God saying, Lord, I come to you. Lord Jesus, I confess my sins before you. 
I know that I've fallen short, but I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. And I will follow you all the days of my life. I love you. Forgive me of my sins. I'll follow you forever. Lord Jesus, come and meet each one that's turning their hearts back to you today, Lord God. Call them out by name. Lord, don't let them leave here today if they haven't made that decision before you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for them. Amen. If you did that today, if you said that kind of prayer, if you turned your heart to the Lord in the same way that you wouldn't be ashamed to throw on the jersey, in the same way that you wouldn't be willing to stand up and say, that's me. Don't let this be a private moment. We have different pastors and leaders that are here. I want you to take a step to publicly acknowledge that by stepping out of your seat, coming up here by the time you leave and letting someone know about the choice that you've made. If you came with someone that invited you today, let them know. They'll come up with you. Turn to your neighbor. They'll, they'll bring you up and you can come up. But share that with someone so that we can connect with you and help you walk out this journey. Amen. We're going to take some time to worship the Lord. If you still need to respond to the message, come forward. Make this altar a place to go before the Lord in worship and prayer. And we'll see you again next week.